Welcome to Know Your Risk Radio on 97.3 Cairo FM and AM 770 KTTH. Know Your Risk Radio is hosted by Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital. Whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy, every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile. Know Your Risk Radio is brought to you by Bulwark Capital, helping families navigate the ever-changing and often volatile markets. Know Your Risk Radio starts now. Here's your host, Zach Abraham. And we are back. Thank you so much for joining us for yet another of the most scintillating hours in finance radio. We've got a great show planned for you today. Excited to be here. Going to get into the market update. We've got another special interview. And I was telling, <clears throat> well, we talk about this actually in the interview. But uh, we got a murderer's row coming up here. I mean, it hasn't been bad, right? Robert Schiller, Nobel laureate. Uh, we've got Marcos Bueno with us today. He runs our algorithmic portfolio, like I was telling the people on. And, and I just want you to know, and I, I was telling the people on the warm-up with KTTH this. <clears throat> One of the things, I'm a competitive guy. And our value portfolio has done very well, having a decent year this year, up about 2.7% on the year, I want to say right now. 2.5 maybe. right? Anyway, right in there. And it's Friday, May 27th, so that can change. I always give you guys updates, even when we're down, right? I want, I'm, we're fully transparent. We're not perfect. Um, but one of the fast, I think one of the things that has made Bulwark what it is, is there's a lot of things. It's mostly the people, and it's also the clients. As I always say, you know, we can bring all the expertise in the world to the table. Without the client's capital, we don't have a firm. Right. So it really is a partnership with us. But I also think one of the things that is so unique about us is that we have a Marcos Bueno uh, and we have that portfolio that he runs. You know, this guy has got a master's in mathematical engineering an MBA from Wharton was a prop trader. And for those of you that don't know what that means, prop trading is considered the major leagues of trading. Right. Those are the guys that trade the bank's money, not the client's money, the bank's money. And where do you think the bank puts the best traders? Right. So uh, he's a prop trader for JP Morgan, UBS, Goldman Sachs, ran a billion dollar portfolio for Graham Capital, one of the largest hedge funds in the world. Um, and the fact that we've got him running on average somewhere between 40 to 50 percent of our clients stock exposure. Right. Via our two portfolios. So he runs our algorithmic portfolio. I run the value portfolio. Um, but I mean, there's no question about it. It's one of the unique offerings that Bulwark has. There's not other retail firms out there that uh, do it that way. And one of the things you'll also see in retail firms is they'll have kind of cool sounding portfolios, but it's always their portfolios, right? It's always stuff they came up with. We think it about a little bit differently. You know, I found Marcos because I ran into him and thought his portfolio was outstanding. Instead of trying to copy it or invent something of our own, I went, hey, pal, I want you to come over there and do that for us. And uh, that's also where the humility comes into play, right? What are we here for? We're not here for Zach Abraham to be a big star or talk about himself in the third person, (laughs) right? Uh, We're here to generate the results and returns for the clients. And if that means that I don't manage all of their stock money, then so be it. And quite honestly, I don't think it's, I don't think it should mean that because individual managers have rough times and bad years. And if we inject a different approach, an algorithmic approach, a momentum driven approach run by a guy with the kind of chops and experience that Marcos has, what a perfect, what a perfect uh, addition, right? What a perfect compliment. And, um, and the guy's just a wealth of knowledge. Talk about somebody that's been through the wars, guys. I just, and he's humble. Like I was telling the people on KTTH, uh, this, and I was relating it to a story this last week. We did a, uh, a client event, well, a listener event with Todd Herman up in Bothell, uh, this last weekend, Friday night. I'm sure some of you have listened to it. I'm sure some of you were there. Um, and I, we, I I was there till 10 o'clock talking to folks and, uh, with my beautiful wife that stayed with me the whole time. She always does. Um, and people made comments to me. They're like, you know, Zach, it's so refreshing because you're so humble. And just beg with me. Don't turn the stay. I'm not, this isn't going to become a how's great Zach is show. But it was one of the things that me and Marcos really connected on. And, and when that person said that to me, I, a couple of them said that. And I looked at him and I said, guys, you got to be. You got to be the minute you think you've got this all figured out. You are a liability to your clients. You are a liability to your returns. If your feet are not firmly on the ground and you are not constantly aware of your own bias of your own ability to be wrong, 
your own ability, your own proponent or, or, or your own likelihood or your own tendency to misread things. That happens. It happens to everybody. Nobody is infallible. And keeping regardless of what those returns are. Right. People are like, I, I heard somebody saying, that, you know, you're up two and a half percent on the year in your portfolio. You need to be repping that more. And I'm like, no, I don't, because I don't know if it's going to be there in two weeks. And maybe my clients don't like hearing that, but I don't just because you've done, you know, hey, it's May. There's a lot of year left for that matter. Something else I think about is a good five month or, and you know, the value portfolios had a really big outperforming run really over the last two and a half years, two and a half years don't make the majority of our average clients retirement. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And one of the things that, that drew me to Marcos, and, and honestly, it's something that I use as a litmus test to gauge other investors. When I smell or hear arrogance or a lack of humility, I run the other way because it's just a matter of time until you get hit. And I don't want to keep pounding on it. But remember, I remember going off the last couple of years, listening to some of the things that Kathy Wood was saying, right? Here's what our portfolio is going to do. You know, we expect 40% returns. And, and I, I still remember when I was watching this news conference where somebody asked her about her view on Tesla. Now, let's forget, she was right about Tesla. Okay, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying she wasn't. I wished I would have made that call. Now, I do also think that we should sit there and say that every single reason that she laid out for why she thought Tesla would get where it was, none of it has played out. And I think Tesla has been one of the biggest beneficiaries of just... Um, retail investor largesse and a insensitivity to valuation. Um, that being said, they've been much more successful than I thought they'd be. Um, Musk has done a much better job navigating this environment than I thought he would or could. So I was wrong on that. But the reason I bring it up is because she was at a conference and somebody asked her, is there anything that would make you change your mind on Tesla? And she looked at them without hesitation and went, no. And when I heard that, I just went, oh, she's going to get blown up. She's going to get blown up. Because certainty is the hallmark of the charlatan. Nobody. Buffett wouldn't tell you he was certain about how an investment was going to play out. Peter Lynch wouldn't tell you that. Druckenmiller wouldn't tell you that. And these are guys that have had massively better results than Kathy would. So anyway, I'll get off my soapbox. But humility, and, and if you're out there listening to a guru on Twitter... Or a guru telling you, it, you know, people are like, well, that's what I am not a guru, <laughs> not even close. And if you don't believe me, I get my wife on here for an interview and she could square you away. Um, but anybody that's holding them, just I, I will continue to say it, guys. I will not get everything right. Do not listen to my opinions as gospel because I don't. And if you're listening to anybody that doesn't say that, quit listening to them. They are the people that will get you hurt. Nobody knows. There is no magic. One of my clients was telling me he, he wasn't really happy about the performance. And I looked at him, I go, man, we're outperforming the market by over 15% this year. We're outperforming the market by about 13% over the last two years. What do you want? And he goes, well, when this market tipped over, I thought we were going to make a lot of money. And he goes, we should have gone short. And I go, you're investing in hindsight, man. I, what if it wouldn't have rolled over? And I think it's the thing that people forget about investing is we think about it in binary terms, being right or wrong. You know what you really need to think of it like? I had this discussion with a, a, a very good friend of mine whose business has gone unbelievable. And uh, he's worked his tail off. And he recently had kind of a life-changing offer, uh, a life-changing ability to pull capital out of his business. And um, he was asking me, you know, what should I do? And I said, take the money and run. I go, and he goes, really? And I go, when we're dealing with money in business, there's sometimes where we got to step on the gas. But, but the experience that this friend of mine was, was, was realizing or, or going through was a result of war hard work and stepping on the gas. And when we're making these decisions, especially as it relates to capital or operating a business, we can lean to what we think is going to happen, but whatever path we take, we have to make sure that which either outcome occurs, we're good either way. 
And I think people forget that. They're like, well, that went up, so we should have bought that. And you go, well, what would have happened if it didn't? They go, well, it did. And be like, did you know it was going to go up at that, that? You know what I mean? You're, you're investing via hindsight. All we can do is manage risk, meaning sit there and say, look, we're going to tilt this way, but we're going to tilt this way in such a way that if we're wrong, it doesn't irreparably harm us. It doesn't blow us up because what is retirement? Retirement is certainty. And so many of you out there are in these portfolios that will do well if the economy continues to grow and inflation gets subdued and they will get smoked if those things don't happen. That's not a retirement portfolio. You're playing craps. Right? Your retirement is a certainty, 100%. Well, if, if, if the money's there. Right. Whatever, you know, whether you're long this, long that, what you've got to be thinking is that I need to be good even if I'm wrong. I don't get another crack at this. Right. Retirement is not a batting average. Right. We don't get a thousand ups. You get one. And, and this binary approach that I see all these other portfolios taking, it just makes my brain want to burst. Anyway, so we've kind of drifted there. Let's get to the market update. What's going on? So, so guys, nothing has really changed. Um, the five horsemen of the apocalypse are still running wild. We've seen the dollar pull back a little bit, about two, two and a quarter percent, nothing big. It is still flashing red. We're still right around 102 on the dollar index. Crude is now, as we're sitting here on Friday at 1230, crude is now at uh, 115, been heading up. And I think it's important to note that crude is now higher than when Biden released the SPR, which we told you exactly that's what's going to happen. So here we are again. And now you're looking at the strategic petroleum reserve in our country at the lowest level that it has been at since I want to say 1987. Now, what's interesting about that? Now, we've got a lot of flexibility in terms of the SPR, the strategic petroleum reserve here in the country. But remember, at some point, Sellers become buyers. You got to build that thing back up. So there's kind of another. Now, they, I think they've got like three to five years. So it's not like they need to go in and buy it right away. They still have hundreds of millions of barrels of oil. So it's not like we've exhausted it, but we've taken a big chunk out of it. And remember, it's like it, it, they're doing with oil what the Fed has done. They're pushing the problem down the road. And eventually that pushing becomes part of the problem, right? Because you got to buy that crude back. You got to build that strategic petroleum reserve back. Now, what's happening with tech? You've got a nice little rally going on right here with the NASDAQ. It's still sharply down. S&P's still down about 14% on the year. Uh, NASDAQ is down, I think, something like around 20, maybe a little more than that. Um, but nice little rally here on the NASDAQ. Um, this is what bear, If this is a bear market, now, I think that there's a really easy uh, way to look at this. If the NASDAQ closes several days in a row above 13,500, it's going to force us to really revisit our view about what the rest of the year is going to look like in the markets. Um, now, I could be wrong, but that's a level that we've been following based on a lot of different research and different things we're watching. So don't don't take that as gospel. But really, you know, when you see these rallies on this stuff happen, you know, don't freak out. This is what happens right now. Could this be a recovery to new all time highs? Sure. Anything can happen. Um, I, I think that is highly unlikely. And I think if you listen to the show, you realize why, right? The economic backdrop is just really bad and it continues to be bad. Um, and I think what is floating markets right now, right? I, I had a client the other day ask me, he's like, Zach, I, you know, all the stuff that you're saying makes sense to me. And they're like, why, why is anybody still buying stocks? And I go, well, first of all, there's a market and all people don't see things the same way, but he goes, but why aren't they afraid of pain? And, 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 you know, it seems that to me, the things you're pointing out make perfect sense and earnings are rolling over and the market is still far from cheap on a historical basis and bad earnings reports are flying in and consumer uh, savings level are now at the lowest levels they've been at since 2000s, the beginning of 2008 when we were heading into the last big recession. Right. And he goes, we had negative GDP in the first quarter. And he's like, why would anybody be in there buying stocks at these levels? And he goes, why aren't they afraid of the pain? And I said, they are afraid of the pain. And he goes, well, what do you mean? And I go, what has the pain point been for the last 15 years? The pain point for the last 15 years has been not buying dips for 15 years, guys. 
And this is what we've been saying for most of the last two years, right? We talk about the knife fight. We talk about how that this tech, right, dominance of the market was going to die of, in our opinion, a very slow and violent death because you had so much muscle memory built up over the last 15 years. Now, I will say this, every piece of data that keeps coming up, I was really laughing today that the, the rally in the market. Now, look, I think the market was due to rally. It just markets don't move in straight lines. It's just not the way it works. So I think it had more to do with just, you know, being oversold rally and markets doing what they do. But on CNBC, they were like, oh, you know, the market's rallying and it started. And it did. It started taking off right after the new inflation data came out that showed that, quote unquote, inflation had dropped to 4.9. Now they're talking about core inflation and markets started taking off and rallying. And I just chuckled. And the reason I chuckled, guys, is you've got, and we've talked about this before, but you, when you see a, a core inflation print like we got today at 4.9 and the last one was 5.3, inflation hasn't dropped. You got to add those together. What, what, how inflation works is that inflation was rising at 5.3% core inflation the last time the data came out. It is now rising at 4.9%. So it is almost double. Where it was, you know, the total inflation has basically doubled since that last time, right? And people go, oh, no, but it's pulled back. No, no, no. It's gone up another 4.9%. Now that growth is slowing, but you're talking about 40 basis points, you know, and, and that could be corrected, but, you know, you're going to get revisions to that data and it very well could be, you know, it's close enough to maybe the revision comes out and it's 5.5. Now, I'm not saying I think that's what's going to happen. But I'm just saying inflation increasing another 4.9% is not good. Now, is it better than if it would have been increasing by 9%? Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying it's a disaster, but it's just, it, it amazes me how I think people are misreading so much of this data. Um, the other thing to watch, we're going to talk a little bit about this, but I hear people saying it to get in there and buy these things when they're cheap. Guys, you can either listen to me or you can learn the lesson the hard way. Just because something is down 50, 60, even 70% does not mean it's cheap. And like I said, we're going to do a whole segment on there. So I don't really want to, I don't want to blow it right now, but, um, it, it is not cheap and this market. Isn't cheap no matter how you want to look at it. Okay. So anybody that says that I'm not saying anything bad about them. I'm just saying that that's factually incorrect. This is not a cheap market. Is it quote unquote, as expensive as it was a year ago? Well, in some ways, no, but I actually think it's more expensive. Okay, and, and, and we'll get into why that is. But um, other than that, you know, if you want to try to play these bounces and these, you know, you can make a bear market rallies can be intense. And I'm saying you can. I mean, think about it. That line we're watching is 13.5 right on the Nasdaq. That would represent like another 12. What would that be like a 12, 13 percent pop from here? I'd be about a 25 percent, uh, about a 20 percent move off of that recent low. And why those are so dangerous is it sucks everybody back in, right? And this is why, in my opinion, in times like this, you just have to stare like a hawk at the fundamentals and keep your eyes on the prize because price is a liar, right? Price will get you to do irrational things. So I just think now is a time that we need to, we need to be very disciplined. But re really all the factors have, I mean, you've got way above trend inflation. It's really starting to take a bite out of companies' earnings, even high-flying tech companies that were supposed to be inflation-resistant. Right. It's not just I think one of the things hitting tech guys is tech, meaning one of, that was one of the dynamics we saw in 1999, 2000 during the tech collapse. All of these tech, all of these tech companies, their biggest customers were other tech companies. Right. So it's it, it's kind of incestuous in a way. And when their earnings start dropping, it tends to have kind of a domino effect. Now, I think that's probably a little less true today because of the maturity of some of those big tech companies. But that's kind of that, that's the way inflation works. It really negatively impacts almost everything. Now, typically, commodity producers and energy producers and things like that benefit. But as on a broader level, inflation isn't good, especially in a consumer driven economy like ours. Right. It takes ammunition out of the consumer's hands. So. Uh, nothing's really changed. Like I said, the five horsemen of the apocalypse, again, the things we're watching the closest dollar index and crude above a hundred interest rates rising. The fed is still sticking to their guns. That is still in play. The fed is still on the sidelines. That is still in play. Economic contraction. We don't know if the economy is quote unquote, still contracting, but earnings certainly are. 
So I would tend to think that we're either on the verge of a typical prototypical definition of recession or we're in one right now. If not, we're close. Again, I'm not talking like an economic collapse recession, but you know, it very much looks that way. And when you've got that backdrop, good things don't happen, especially with the Fed pulling out. Marcos and I are going to talk more about this. The other thing that you got to keep in memory, in, 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 in memory is that you should see these days, if we are correct, if this market is because I, you guys know my opinion. I think we're going substantially lower, okay? We should see vicious moves to the upside. That's what happens. Bull, bear markets are the inverse of bull markets. In a bull market, you usually have a steady, you know, grinding trend to the upside. And your biggest days, the biggest moves are typically to the downside. You know, you have a 5 to 7% drop in a couple of weeks, initiates some fear, and it ends up just being a buying opportunity, and the market resumes its march up, right? Bear markets are the same, just to the inverse. The steady trend is down. The sharp moves are to the upside. So don't read too much into this. If we are right and this market is going substantially lower, this is how it would act. People are like, you said that back in COVID. I did. I did think that was a bear market. I didn't think the market would continue to rally. I thought it would be looking through to the next 16 to 24 months and realize that this was just a sugar high that wouldn't last. I was wrong. Okay. Big difference between today and then is the Fed is not standing there ready to pour six and a half trillion dollars into this economy. Okay, and that's the biggest shift from any time in the last 15 years. And people are acting as if that that Fed put is still in play. It's not. I'm just telling you right now, the Fed ain't going to reverse rates until things get really nasty. And I think that's kind of this dichotomy you've got built up in the market. If these bulls want to keep pushing this thing higher, rates are going to go higher. Fed's going to keep hiking. Just, you know, the old adage, don't fight the Fed. That That is true to the upside. It's also true to the downside. What is the Fed doing? They're tightening. I mean, you want to fight that train, go ahead and do it. But it works the same during a tightening cycle as it does during a, during a raise cycle. And what was the most common mantra over the last 15 years that was dead true? Don't fight the Fed. When they get stimulative, get in there and buy. Okay? The inverse is also true. And yet people are like, oh, this is the, this is the chance. So we're going to be right back after the break. Got to take a quick break for time here. We're going to be right back at and get into valuations. Where are we at in the market? Is this a buy? Okay, and for those of you, and I think it should be all of you guys, you know, what have we been telling you? Get out of, you know, pull back on tech stocks. You need better exposure to energy. You need to get out of bonds. Uh, you know, we were talking about Boeing in 2019 saying, get out of bonds. We've had a lot of good calls. Okay, if you want that kind of thought and you want people that are actively managing the portfolio, we, uh, earlier this week, we, had a, we, we have our traders, and when we get into crazy times like this, we're watching markets literally 24 hours a day. We had our trader put in a hedge play at about 1.30 a.m. Yes, we were watching markets and futures at one, why? Because our clients are relying on us to do that, right? If you want that level of dedication and involvement, people that are actively responding to conditions on the ground to make sure your retirement money's safe, give us a call, 866-779-RISK, and 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website, knowyourriskradio.com, boardcapitalmanagement.com. Follow me on Twitter at, at @kyrradio. You guys know the drill. We run you through how we do it, show you the performance, show you the cost, tell you give us a call if you want it. No one's going to twist your arm. Anyway, give us a call. Stick with us through the break. We're going to be right back to get into are things a buy, is this market cheap, and are there great opportunities? You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. This is Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham. Listen to Zach discuss key investment strategies across several asset classes, not just stocks and bonds. Get your free copy of Zach's new booklet, Common Sense Investing. Go to knowyourriskradio.com. Hey, it's Story Monson with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of Know Your Risk Radio. And Zach, I know you and Bulwark are laser-focused on risk management. What is the biggest risk right now? Ironically, bonds. Really? Why? Because of all this money printing and the fact that we're still at zero interest rates, it's likely to create some serious inflation. And inflation crushes bonds. If your portfolio has a significant portion in bonds, you may need a bond replacement strategy now. Get our free booklet, Common Sense Investing, to learn about Bulwark's bond replacement strategy that shows you how to protect your retirement against loss, but still seek market gains. Our goal is the highest returns with the least amount of risk and cost. Call now for your free 
free copy of Zach's new version of Common Sense Investing. Learn about Bulwark's bond replacement strategy, 866-779-RISK, or go to knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. And we are back. All right. So this segment is going to be a bit of a combination. And the way I came up with this idea or this segment and that I wanted to hit on was, again, you know, we're interacting with new investors on a constant basis every single week, talking to our own clients. So we have a big look through to investor sentiment and investor psychology. And one of the things I am hearing the most often from our new clients, especially the ones that are down hard is, well, when's a good time to move? And I kind of look at them like, what, well, what do you mean? And they're like, well, what I'm thinking is, you know, shouldn't we just wait for things to bounce back before we move? And I look at them and I go, no. And they go, why? And I go, because you're assuming that they will. And they go, well, Zach, the market always bounces back. Yeah, but it's taken 25 years before, 1929 to 1954. Go look at 1968 to 1980. Go look at 2000 to 2014. Guys, there is not this immutable law that you have to just bounce back to your previous high watermark. Okay? And there's, all, there's a joke in this business. Do you know how you lose all your money? By losing 50% first and buying the dip, right? That's how you lose 100%. Okay? Now, I'm not saying your accounts are going to go to zero, but I'm just saying think about that concept, that whole will bounce, wait for the, how do you know? Why do you think that there's a bounce back coming? I don't. You know, I think you're going to see these bear market rallies. Why don't I? When you add up these macroeconomic factors, you've just never seen a market advance in these conditions. And that kind of gets into the valuation. One of the things that I'm hearing constantly is that you got to buy these cheap tech stocks now. Now, are there exceptions? Are there stocks in the tech universe that have been beat up too much that probably represent good buys? Yes. And we've picked a couple of them up. Do I think they're done going down? No. Well, why'd you buy them? Because nobody knows right when the bottom is. And I think they're good companies and we're buying them at prices that make sense to us. And we're more than willing to add to those positions at lower levels. And I think we will get the opportunity to do that. We're going to have to be patient. Why? Because that's part of managing risk. Okay. And, but as it relates Is that true? Guys, there's a dynamic in markets that happens with valuation. This should be well known and well understood, but for whatever reason, it's not. And we've talked about on the show before, but there are times when, and this is very true in cyclical type businesses, right? Think of, uh, think of car manufacturers. Now, you're like, oh, Tesla. No, set Tesla aside. Tesla is a completely different animal. It's kind of a cultural phenomenon, a cult stock, if you will, a retail favorite. They, that, that one adheres to its own set of rules. But in general, if you look at car companies, and for that fact, energy companies to some degree, a little bit different in this cycle on energy companies too, but, but bear with me. A lot of the times, especially as it relates to automobile manufacturers, one of the worst times to buy them is when they look the cheapest. People go, well, Zach, what do you mean? Well, because the market is not dumb, right? And, and when they went, oftentimes when these companies look the cheapest is when their earnings are the highest, right? A PE ratio, a price to earnings ratio, right? So the larger that earnings number is, the lower the PE ratio is, the cheaper the stock looks. Now, why? And, and so there's this, well, you got to buy it. Look at it. It's a six times earnings. You're like, well, yeah, that's because the market thinks its earnings are about ready to roll over. Now, conversely, one of the triggers to buy stocks like that is when they look the most expensive. Why? Because their earnings have been shattered. Their cost structure really hasn't. Their stock price has been plummeted, but because the earnings have taken such a large hit, they're also a manufacturing company, right? Which means that they've got these fixed costs and they have to produce volume enough to generate a profit. If the volume drops to a certain level, it almost doesn't matter what they do. They're going to lose money. 
And so you buy them sometimes when that P.E. ratio looks the most expensive. I think that what you're seeing, in my opinion right now, and I think it's backed up by earnings reports, Walmart, Target, NVIDIA didn't miss, but it lowered guidance, Snow, Facebook, right? We can go on down the list. I mean, there's been a couple outstanding outliers. I saw everybody getting excited about Dollar Tree and Dollar General putting up good earnings. That's not a good sign either, guys. The reason that their revenues are going up is because people are looking for relief from higher prices. Okay, so what does this all add up to? It adds up to declining earnings. And one of the things that I think is so dangerous now is so many of these tech companies have pulled back so much that their P.E. ratios look way lighter and way more value based than they had in the past. But when interest rates are going up, we've been saying this for two years, when interest rates are going up, the one thing I will tell you that I feel 100 percent certain about is that as long as interest rates are going up and the Fed is on the sidelines, at the very least, valuations will continue to compress. As interest rates go higher, it has to do with discounted cash flow models. We've talked about this a lot on the show. Basic idea is this. The more I can earn from a risk-free government bond, now, it's not risk-free because inflation, and we know interest rates are going up, but I mean, that's they're referred to as the risk-free rate is the rate that the U.S. government bonds are paying, okay? It's a euphemism in, in, in finance. <clears throat> when, when you say the risk-free rate to, to you know, any of us that do this for a business, we, we know or do it professionally, we know immediately what you're talking about. And the higher the amount of money I can make on a, on a, on a relatively riskless asset, the less attractive taking the risk of owning stocks is. Right. And, and a little exercise right now, if you could earn eight to 11 percent in a combination right now of CDs and U.S. government bonds, how many stocks would you own? Well, your answer should be not very many. Right. Why do I say that? What is the average annual return of the S&P 500? It's 11 percent. So if you can make anywhere in that neighborhood in a fixed income asset that's backed by the biggest, most powerful government in human history, it kind of makes it hard to justify taking the risk, uh, you know, equity risk in stocks. And so that's why when interest rates go up, those multiples compress. Okay, now you've got kind of a double whammy right now because you've got the all the ingredients that should and will and are suppressing multiples, but the economy struggling with inflation and weaker growth at the same time. So that means while multiples are being compressed, earnings are dropping at the same time. Okay, and when you see these low P.E., quote unquote, low P.E. ratios, you have to remember they are calculating earnings that 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 P, the price of the stock divided by the earnings, that earnings number is from the previous 12 months. It's from the previous four quarters. Well, in the previous four quarters, you had record by far record earnings on the S&P. That number is already rolling over. Interest rates are going up. Margins are getting compressed. So you could see a stock get down to a 20 to 22 price to earnings ratio, and you could see it stay there. Maybe you could see it go from 20 to 18 and the stock could still lose 50%. Why? Because the multiple goes down 10%, earnings drop 30 to 40, boom, there you go. Right? And you're like, well, shoot, man, I bought it at a 20 PE. It's still at an 18, but the stock's down 50. So are stocks cheap? No. And then are they cheap in general? Guys, the long-term average on the S&P 500 is 15.8 price-to-earnings ratio. You're currently at 22, 21. I haven't checked it in the last few days, but you're right around there, 21, 22. With earnings dropping, right, that E is shrinking. This isn't a cheap market. Now, it looks cheaper than it was a little while ago. But remember, the macroeconomic picture doesn't look like it did 16 months ago, right? Conditions are a lot different. And, And I'll just give you a game. Go pull up a chart on the NASDAQ. Start looking at the end of 2019 and look to today. I don't think it's crazy to think that the NASDAQ is going to go back to where it was pre-COVID, right? All of the things that created that boom during COVID, they're now gone. The economy is weaker than it was in 2019. Inflation is exponentially higher. Rates are higher. I mean, every little, every financial condition out there is worse than it was in 2019, and people are like, this is a dip to buy. And I'm sitting there looking and going, I think it would make a whole lot of sense if the NASDAQ just went. And I don't think that would be a bad outcome. I think that would be an avoiding of disaster for people that are along this stuff. But it still does imply, what, another 25 to 30% down. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen. I think it is. But big asterisks there, I think. 
Why is that so dangerous? So many of you retail investors, because those of you that haven't listened to us or have gone somewhere else, you're still sitting in those portfolios, which are loaded up with technology stocks and loaded up with bonds. And I don't know what you're waiting for. I really don't. The pain is not going to stop. And you've also got this wicked dynamic that if markets continue to go up, if I'm wrong, and then this is the start of another uptrend, Fed has to keep hiking rates, guys. And, and, and if they do that, they will hike till it breaks. They, they've got to take the steam out of this thing. And that's why it's just a head scratcher for me. Everybody believe, well, if you can't fight the Fed, then when the Fed steps out, nobody's saying that anymore. And I'm just sitting there going, listen, I think you were right when markets were going up. Don't fight the Fed. I also think that it is true to the downside. And, and you just watch this relationship. And Marcos and I are going to dig into it a little bit more uh, uh, in the interview that we do. But one of the most true, steadfast correlations, and I'm not telling you to time markets, but if you buy when the Fed starts cutting rates and starts becoming more accommodative, and if you sell when they start raising rates and becoming less accommodative, you've had a very good track record. A, you've been very good at catching big up moves, but most importantly, you have sidestepped the ugliest down moves. And right now, as investors, the fear, and I can hear it, I can see it in people, the fear, they're not, all they've seen is bounce backs, bounce backs. The fear is missing out to the upside. And I don't think, I know, and maybe if it's not this time, this dynamic will play out in the not too distant future, but I know that that fear is misplaced. I know that those who are responding to that fear of missing out are going to get absolutely pounded. Does that mean you go short everything in all the world? No, but what it does mean is you manage risk, right? Which is why our average client is banging around right around, even on the year algorithmic portfolios down six or seven value portfolios. Now up two or three real estate portfolios up doing really good bond replacement strategy is positive on the year. We're hovering right around there. Negative two and some portfolio, depending on the composition, but right, you know, negative two to up to right around there bumping around, right? Why risk management? It doesn't mean lower returns. It means better returns over the long run, guys. And like I'll continue to say, I just, I don't wish this. I really don't. I wish I could get really constructive because it's so nice just buying the indexes and buying Apple and NVIDIA and just riding the way. It's easy. It's, it's, I, I, I don't dislike it. It's easy. And the more money our clients make, the more money we make, less stress we're under. I can tell myself sweet little bedtime story was well, an excellent company and just got to ignore the pain over the long run. But I can't do that. Why? Because I'm a fiduciary of other people's money. And this is a nasty backdrop. And, and I think it has the potential to be now, again, I don't think anything's happening in right in the immediate future. My guess would be we'll probably grind sideways with some good upswings, probably some downswings. Over the course of the summer, if you were to put a gun to my head, I don't think the real bloodletting will commence till the fall. Again, that's just typically the way it happens. And then, you know, there's always something that could change in the dynamics, like we said. You know, that's our opinion until it changes. Because, again, what's our, our job is not to be philosophically tied to certain things. Our job is not to stick endlessly to the way that we see certain conditions. Our job is to constantly be putting our clients in a better risk-reward scenario. So that whether we're right or whether we're wrong, their retirement isn't impacted. You've got to win either way. And in by managing your risk, you can generate substantially better returns. And guys, I got to be careful when I'm talking about it on the radio for regulatory reasons. And I'm not trying to bait you in here. I actually say more on the performance side of things than I should because I want to be transparent. I've told you when we're down, I've told you about the worst investment decisions I've ever made. And you know why? Because if you call, I'm looking for partners. I want like-minded people. I don't want people that think I'm magic because I am not. Nobody is. Do I think we work harder and do more rigorous research and watch things around? Yeah. Why? Because that's the oath we've taken. That's the trust that our clients have put in us. And I'm not going to look at them when they're wrecked and go, well, that's what happens in the markets. No, they trusted us. Now, there are times where that means we will make less because being defensive 
right? It's like paying homeowners. Would you have more money in your bank account if you never would have paid homeowners insurance? Sure. But if your house caught fire, you're pretty glad you had it. And that's the thing in investing. Everybody gets so binary. Well, what's the right call? What's the wrong call? How about the call that leaves you intact regardless of what happens? That's risk management. And why is that so important in retirement? Because your retirement is coming. Like I said earlier, it's not a batting average. 300 out of 1,000 doesn't get it done. Gets you in the Hall of Fame in Major League Baseball. Gets you in the poorhouse in investing. You got to be right. You got to be good regardless of the outcome. You've got to be good regardless of whether I'm right or wrong. Why do you think we use four different portfolios inside of our clients' portfolios, guys? Because I'm not going to bet our clients' retirement on my portfolio. They need to have other diversification and other forms of management in case I have a bad year. When I have a bad year, nobody's perfect. I've told you guys about 2013. I was up like nine and a half, ten percent market was up 31. How's that for an advertisement? A guy telling you about the year he underperformed the market by 21%. Here's the flip side. Do you know how many clients got blown up because we made 10% that year? Nobody. And we've more than made up for it since. And if you want to know that exact performance, if you want to see how it chalks up to the market, and again, I got to be careful, but it's pretty dang good. Give us a call, 866-779-RISK, and 866-779-RISK. Is, is that because we're smarter than everybody? No. Is it because we know what's going to happen? No. It's because we build a smarter portfolio that makes sense. That has less risk, less cost, more upside, and every single component of that portfolio has a defensive layer, which is why during COVID we were down six and a half. It's why this year we're bumping right around even. Slightly up now, I think. You don't have to be, take, you don't, you don't have to take these huge risks, guys. There's smarter ways to make money. Give us a call, 866-779-RISK and 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website. And guys, also, would you sign up for the podcast? Subscribe to it, would you? Even if you don't like me, if you like the interviews, which, I mean, we've had some big names on here, not, you know, just recently, Robert Schiller, Nobel Prize winner. We got Grant Williams coming up in next week. We got Hugh Hendry, former portfolio manager under famed hedge fund manager, Chris Pinotti. He ran Eclectico Investments. Guy's got an incredible background. The more subscribers we got, I don't make more money off of it, but it helps us bolster and get these bigger interviews. So make sure you go to Google Know Your Risk Radio podcast and subscribe to that sucker. And then you can listen to the interviews in the show whenever you want to. You don't have to you know, wait for it to come on or whatever. So anyway, we got to run. We're going to play a few minutes now of the interview that we've done with Marcos Bueno, my partner who runs our algorithmic portfolio. And then we're going to cut it off. If you want to hear the rest of the interview, as always, go to Know Your Risk Radio podcast. You can listen to the rest of the interview there. Anyway, guys. Hope you have a wonderful weekend. You're not going to want to miss next week. Like I said, the interviews are just going to keep rolling. We got a murderer's row coming up, but have a wonderful weekend. We'll see you next week. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com and stick with us through the break. We will air a little bit of the uh, of the interview here, so you don't want to miss that. Anyway, have a wonderful weekend. We'll see you next week. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. Do better in bull markets. Do better in bear markets. Pay less fees in all markets. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. You can subscribe to Zach's free newsletter, The Bulwark Insider Report, at knowyourriskradio.com. Hey, it's Story Monson with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of Know Your Risk Radio. Zach, what's the number one concern with people's investments right now? Without a doubt, Dory, it's inflation, and it's here. With all this money printing and with still 0% interest rates, inflation will very likely rise, and when inflation rises, bonds get smoked. We've been telling people for six years, if you're using bonds in the old-school 60-40 mix as the safe portion of your portfolio, you're taking a risk in today's inflationary environment. Well, what should our listeners do? If you're worried about inflation, we believe that you should consider getting out of bonds and get educated with Bulwark's bond replacement strategy. We teach you exactly how to do it in our free booklet, Common Sense Investing. Learn how to protect your portfolio against loss, but still seek to grow your assets. Call Zach now for your free copy of Common Sense Investing, 866-779-RISK, or go to knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor.
You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. And we are back. Thank you so much for joining us. <clears throat> and, and this is, uh, as always, this is my favorite segment, um, interview time. And uh, wanted to have an old friend to the show who's been on several times. Not Never enough, though. Never enough. And truthfully, it's probably because he and I communicate <laughs> communicate on a regular basis so i suck what i need out of his brain and then i i probably undervalue it as it relates to the you know familiarity breeds contempt and i it's not a contempt thing but i think i just take advantage or take for granted this mind that i've got access to on a regular basis but we're not doing that anymore we're going to have him on he's on with us today None other than Marcos Bueno, the head of Ascent Systematic, the manager of our algorithmic portfolio. Marcos, thank you so much for joining us, pal. Zach, thanks to you. It's always a good time to speak to you here. Well, I mean, always, you know. (laughs) It always has been. (laughs) Well, I just realized, I was like, you know what? I got to get Marcos on the show. Because like I said, I'm used to just pumping your brain for info, information all the time. So I get what I need. And then selfishly, I forget to, uh, <laughs> to get you on and share those thoughts. Don't yeah. worry about it. I don't look. I, 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 I'm, you got I'm your shy. hands full, right? I'm shy. Well, I'm and, shy. And, and, and anybody running a portfolio this year, even an algorithmic portfolio, we've had our hands full, haven't we? We have. Yeah, it's a it's a uh, it's an interesting environment. And for those of you that don't know, not only does Marcos run our algorithmic portfolio, but one of the reasons well, one of the reasons that he and I started working together was the algorithmic portfolio, but also his wealth of expertise and, and experience. Marcos was a prop trader for several of the biggest firms on the street, J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, to name a few. Um, worked at one of the was a trader at one of the largest hedge funds in the world, Graham Capital. Marcos has been through a lot of wars. Um, and looked at it from the institutional side, um, the buy side, as we call it. Uh, and so anyway, it's just a, it's great to have you on the show, Marcos. Pick your brain. And let, let, let's kind of just jump right into kind of the way that I was thinking about it. You really try to stay out of macro discussions. I've noticed that. But you also really know macro really well. Uh, is that is that because kind of walk us through that you and I have talked about this before, but as a guy that was very value bent, a commodities trader, um, you you know macro. You you've played I, it. You, I do. You've played I have, in that I, pool. I have a lot of experience in macro. Actually, was running a billion dollar portfolio for Graham. It was macro, and maybe because of that, I'm not commenting too much these days. Um, <laughs> I was. I, it, Macro- it, 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 does this go alongside with? I was talking to a new client the other day, and I'm not going to keep interrupting you, but just I want to know what you mean by that. They asked me what I thought about gold, and I said to know gold really well is to love it and hate it simultaneously. Is it sort of like it's, that? That's true. It's yeah. true. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The reason macro is something that is really easy to talk about. It's really easy to sound like an expert. <laughs> Uh, because it's, it's, it's stories, right? It's things that are on the news. Um, it's relatively easy to construct a framework that conceptually makes sense, common sense makes sense. Uh, but macro markets don't necessarily move on those. It moves on what people think of those narratives many times. Mm-hmm. So there is a weak link between all the things that we say or think or the st- things that we think are going to happen and the things that actually happen. Um, Like it's relatively easy to predict what the news are going to be, but that's not the job really. The job is to predict what prices are going to do and that's much harder (laughs) because the news news can happen as we predict, but then the, the prices do not. So that's why I sometimes, I mean, I keep commenting uh, I have my opinions. I have learned not to act on my opinions. And that's why we are running this algorithmic program, because um, we are looking at objective inputs as opposed to subjective inputs or opinions. Uh, so I do have my opinions. I try not to listen to them too much. Well, I listen to them. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think you know how often I train on your opinions. So, uh, that's just what I think of your opinion. So I, I value it. Um, Thank you. The, it's funny you bring up 
that macro portfolio. One of the things that one of the things that is really, and I wouldn't say it surprised me. I know that this was exactly what you and I had in, envisioned when we when we took this approach, right? Having our value unconstrained portfolio that very much involves macro, and then having the momentum based algorithm. Um, you know, the, the way that they've complemented each other and they continue to do so, it, it really is fascinating to me. And it's made, it's made our job easier. But it has also really convinced me, in my opinion, that for an overall client portfolio, I think that this is the way it should be set up. I think that you should have part of your stock exposure geared toward the traditional value slash macro approach. And I am absolutely convinced you should have a significant portion of your stock exposure or or the other part of your stock exposure, half, uh, which is what we commonly do, um, should be exposed to an algorithmic approach. Do you feel the same way? Do you feel like that that, that um, our experience running these two portfolios simultaneously, has it has it yeah. cemented that view that that, that that two-pronged approach for you? Definitely. I think that even before we started um, – I've always been of the opinion that there are two ways to make money in the stock market. One is a long-term value approach, value properly done, uh, like Warren Buffett does, like other people do, like you do. I was going to say like Bulwark Capital does pretty good. I like Bulwark, exactly. <laughs> uh, the other way, the other way is to use the stock market as a tool to make money, mm-hmm. and this is what the algo does, right? Um, the algo, what it does is takes advantage of kind of inefficiencies of the stock market that all right guys due to time constraints we got to cut things off right there like i've said say to you every week you can hear the rest of the interview at know your risk radio or just google know your risk radio podcast go to knowyourriskradio.com you can get all the episodes and then like i said subscribe to the podcast the bigger our subscription numbers are the more the better interviews we get the more people we get to come on so anyway have a great weekend we'll see you next week you're listening to the know your risk radio podcast download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com thanks for listening to know your risk radio with zach abraham chief investment officer at bulwark capital whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile schedule your free risk review with zach abraham now at knowyourriskradio.com zach will be back with more know your risk radio next saturday at noon on 97.3 cairo fm and am 770 ktth The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor.